Many years ago, supposedly, in New York City, late one evening, Santa Claus, an honest politician, and a submissive wife got on an elevator. They're at the top store, the story, and they were going down to the lobby, and they noticed there were five $100 bills laying on the floor. Who do you think picked them up and turned them in at the lobby when they got down to the bottom floor? Was it Santa Claus, the honest politician, or the submissive wife? The answer, of course, is Santa Claus because the other two do not exist. (laughs) Okay, ladies, that's a joke, bad joke. I tried it on my wife on, uh, on, on Friday, and it was like, yeah, that's real funny. <laughs> Normally when they growl, that means it's not funny, correct? Okay. We're going we're, we're gonna to talk about Joseph today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't, they'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 1, we're talking about following the examples of the heroes of the Christmas story, and Joseph is one of the heroes What did he do? Here is the first thing we see from him. Live your life conforming to God's standards. You want to do life well. You want to do life effectively. Follow the example of Joseph. To me, Joseph's one of the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. Mary gets a lot more glory. Of course, she did have to carry the baby for nine months. But Joseph played a huge part in it. And who he was and how he behaved is just tremendous. Starting in verse 18, it says, The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, pledged some translation to Joseph, before they came together, that means literally before they had sex, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. If you were here last week, this will be a quick review. Many of you have forgotten about it anyway, so I'll share it again. In, in Galilee, where Joseph and Mary lived, the marriage stages, there were three stages to it. The first stage was engagement. Everybody right here in front of me, you would already be engaged. Wouldn't that be kind of creepy? And your parents were the ones who had got, got that made that happen. So you're seven or eight years old, very likely you were engaged. You don't have to worry about the future. Uh, You're already set. You've got someone in your, your future. But before the marriage ceremony itself, which was going to take place when they were older, even for a girl, though, maybe 14 or 15, <clears throat> there was a one-year period called the betrothed or the pledged period. And this is an unusual period. During this period, they're called husband and wife. <clears throat> the, the relationship can only be broken by divorce or by death. But here's the catch. They don't live together. She lives at home with her parents, and there's not to be any kind of sexual relationship. So it's during this pledged period that Mary comes up pregnant. Now, I told you last week, take off your clean Rustin, 2,000 years later glasses and put yourself back in their position. This is an awkward position for Joseph. Would you all agree to that? In verse 19, look what it says. It says, and her husband Joseph, he's her husband, but remember they have not, they're not living together, not supposed to have sex, she's pregnant, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her <clears throat> quietly. Now, we're going to look at that word just in a moment because that's the, uh, I think that's the key to who Joseph was. 
Joseph had three options, and it says he could put her to the shame. Literally, that meant to make a trophy out of her. Have you, have you ever known people that like to make trophies out of someone when they do something wrong? They, you know, now it's all, Facebook or whatever you want to do, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you, you, you let everybody know how rotten they are and how sorry they are. Joseph had that option. He wasn't going to do that. He could, have done, he could have got her in front of three rabbis and had a public divorce and embarrassed her and humiliated her. He wasn't going to do that. Now, it was also possible, according to Deuteronomy 22, he might could have had her stoned to death. The Old Testament law said, if you're pregnant and you're in this pledge stage, you die. Now, whether the Jewish people could have uh, actually practiced that uh, because the, they were under Roman law, that's, that's debatable. But here's what he chose to do. He chose to divorce her quietly. When the Jewish process was, he would get two witnesses together and he would give her a bill of divorce. He chose that route. Now, we're going to see later. He, it doesn't go through because God intervenes. But you see, it says he was a just man. Listen, that's the key. The word just there, it, it means someone right with God, but it's a deeper word. It means, listen what it means. It means Joseph was a spiritual person. He was a devout follower of God. He was a sincere religious person. Listen, there was a lot of religious people back then. There's a lot of religious people today. Religion makes me sick at my stomach. He was a spiritual godly man. Big difference, correct? And, and when God went to go look for who was going to be the stepfather of Jesus, when he was going to look for the man who was going to raise Jesus literally from birth to adulthood, he found a just man, a man who lived his life not perfectly but consistently conforming himself to God's standards. Now, folks, you are living your life conforming to something. Something guides you. Something directs your life. What is it? My challenge to you this morning is let it be God. Let it be the Bible. Let it be the Word of God. Let that be what shapes your life, your marriage, your relationships, how you do business. Something is shaping you. Years ago, uh, in one of the church I was pastoring, I was in my mid-20s, and there was a lady in the community in her mid-20s. And I was trying to get her to come to church. I was talking to her about Jesus, and I never forget, this 25, 6 years ago, what she said to me. She said, Chris... You guys have your standards and you have what you conform to. I have my standards and what I conform to. Let me ask you today. A lot of people come to church, a lot of us church people, what we conform to is what we want to do, right? We make our own rules. We look at the Bible and if it fits, that's good. If what God's saying fits, that's good. If it doesn't fit, then we do what we want. Bad choice. Bad choice. No question about it. A lot of us, we just go with the crowd. We just go with the flow. One of the weird things, young people, is I thought when I got to college or I became an adult, peer pressure would go away. That's not true. Peer pressure starts in the nursery. And I'm telling you, at the nursing home this afternoon, peer pressure is taking place. <laughs> because we, we're, we're, in our hearts, we're kind of wimpy. We, we're going to kind of go with the crowd. We're going to go with other people. This true story, Bob Russell was a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky for years. And he went to go see one of his sons uh, in another city. And his son had just gotten a sports car from Europe. And the car was in, the, the, the speedometer was in kilometers. And he had not figured out yet how to move it to miles per hour. And he couldn't read kilometers. So he had no idea how fast the car was going. Well, they're going to go out to eat. And he can only get two people in his car. So he said, Mom and Dad, you guys follow us. Well, they're, go, they're going down the road. Bob is looking at his car. And he goes, we're speeding. We're going to get in trouble. We're going to get in trouble. Cop pulls him over and says to Bob, pull over. 
you know, I'm, I'm fixing to give you a ticket. He goes, I'm just following my son. He goes, I don't care about that. I'm going to go pull your son over. He pulls his son over, and the son, the son says to the policeman, he goes, sir, I really don't know how fast I'm going because this is killing me. I don't know how fast I'm going. The policeman said, I don't care if you don't know how fast you're going. I know how fast you're going. How many of us live like that? We're going to stand before God someday and go, I just follow. I just did what they did. I just follow the crowd. That's what my fam- that's what my that's how my family that's just who we are. Yeah, that'll float with God. And, and and you live we live in, in the Bible belt where literally you could you can get if you don't have a Bible, we can give you five before you leave here today. Seriously. And and, and not only that, you can get on YouTube, you can get on a thousand th- you could listen to fifty sermons today if you were insane. You could do that. And so when we say that we don't know what God's standards are. That's not acceptable. They got speeding tickets. It wasn't acceptable. I'm just going with the traffic. The speed limit is the standard. I can't read my speedometer. That's not an excuse. The speed limit is the standard. Folks, here's what I want to challenge you. Conform your life to God and his standard. It's hard. It's difficult. And it's absolutely right. Most of you know who Bono is, the, the very famous singer, musician. He's a Christian. He had a great quote about being conformed to Jesus. Here's what he said. He goes, a lot of people think you become a Christian and then all of a sudden you're just super saint. I mean, you just love God and you're perfect and you don't sin anymore. He goes, that's not how it works. He goes, it takes years of reading your Bible, hearing sermons, following Jesus, and God's constantly, would you, amen, you agree with this? God's constantly chipping away things and changing us and molding us. And Bono said, God does his part, but we've got to do our part. Being in church, being in the Bible, making a commitment to being conformed to God's standards. Man, that's so good. William Barclay was a great New Testament scholar. Here's how he defined Christianity. He said, Christianity is when you stop doing life about your will and you start doing life according to God's will. Isn't that good? A Christian is one who ceases to do life his way and starts doing life God's way. Hey, you want to do life well, start conforming to God's standards. And whatever your past is, let the past be the past. We're talking about today and moving forward. Here's the second thing. Obey God when the big decisions come. Obey God when the big decisions come. Joseph got hit, y'all would agree, with a tremendously tough thing. His pledged wife is pregnant, and he knows it's not his. Mary was the first person who questioned the virgin birth. Joseph was the second But look what he does when God speaks to him. And let me just, man, let me give you a great word of comfort. When you're facing big decisions, if you really want to know what God wants you to do, I promise you God will tell you. Isn't that good? God God will come through and tell you. In verse 20, it says, after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He said, Joseph, son of David, don't fear taking Mary as your wife. What is conceived in her is really from the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Hebrew for Joshua, or Joshua was the Hebrew. Jesus is the Greek. For the Lord saves. He'll save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken from the prophet. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You will call his name Emmanuel. That's a quote from Isaiah 714, if you're taking notes. In verse 24 and 25, Joseph woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took 
her as his wife. But he did not know her. He did not have sex with her until she had given birth to a son, and they called him Jesus. Man, isn't this great? Let me tell you something. We would have never heard of Joseph if he hadn't obeyed here. You know that? It might be Frank and Mary. (laughs) It might have been Bill and Mary, but it wouldn't have been Joseph and Mary. And 2,000 years later, in Ruston, Louisiana, and all across the world, we're celebrating Joseph. You know why? Not because he was rich or famous or a great athlete or a great writer or, or, or a great preacher or had a great voice. We're celebrating him because he obeyed God. Is that not cool? Let me tell you something. Your effectiveness and success in life is going to come down to how you obey God. You're not a Christian. We want you to obey God today and give your life to him. You're a Christian. Your success and effectiveness comes down to how you obey God. See, a lot of us, man, we flirt with obedience. And we wonder why we're not happy, why we're not effective, why we don't have a good witness, why we don't have joy. Your joy, effectiveness, happiness, witness comes down to your obedience more than anything else. You can't sing your way, preach your way, teach your way around obedience. You can't praise your way around obedience. You have to obey God. Several years ago in Chicago, a man named David Nichols was visiting from England. He goes to a bar called the Leg Room. Everybody looked up when I said that. I was going to ask, anybody ever been to the Leg Room? But I was afraid some guy would raise his hand and then we'd have all kinds of problems after. I don't know nothing about the Leg Room. David Nichols is at the Leg Room. He gets drunk. His bar tab was not real high. It was $9. He goes back to England. He gets his visa bill a week later, and he finds out that he left the waitress a $10,000 tip. How many of you would like to have been that waitress? <laughs> well, he cries foul. He calls the bar. He calls the visa place. He goes, I was drunk. They took advantage of me. I don't know about you, but I would bet the visa people and the bar did not accept that excuse. I'm not being judgmental and I'm not being condemning, but here's what I want to say. At least for that night, if you're drunk in a place called the leg room, you may not be conforming and be obedient to Christ. Would you agree with me? And see, some of you, some of you <laughs> that's a real possibility of doing something dumb like that when you're disobeying God. Others of you are going, oh, I would never do anything like that. No, but here's what you're faced with. You got job decisions. You got relationship decisions. You got financial decisions. Do you stay in Ruston? Do you move? Do you switch careers? Do you switch majors? Do you break up with that person you shouldn't be with? And your success and effectiveness is going to rise or fall on whether you obey or not. Are you following me? And you're going to say five years from now or ten years from now, is this really going to matter? And I want to tell you, when we look at the story of Joseph, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Man, if I could have got a hold of, when I was 19, I became a Christian. I wish someone would have drilled this in my head. Your effectiveness and your success is going to come down to how you obey God. I want to challenge you this morning. Conform your life to God's standards and obey God when those big decisions come. They come out of nowhere. They can come tomorrow. You may be dealing with it today, but when it comes, you obey God. Here's the third thing that flows from all this for Joseph and us. Our obedience is so important. 
I mean, the stakes of it are so important, not just effectiveness and, and, and joy, which they are, but man, how, how you conform to God and how you obey God, how I obey God. And there's so much at stake here. Let me give you, let me give you three things. You, your life success and effectiveness totally depends on it. It depends on this completely. Just what I've been trying to beat. Look in verse 24. Joseph woke from his sleep. He did as the angel commanded, but he knew her not until she gave birth. Wow. What an awesome thing. He obeyed. What about you? You obey when the big decisions come? Here's the second thing. Your obedience is going to have a tremendous effect on other people. If you miss everything, get this. If you can blow yourself off as far as it's going to affect me, success, effective, ineffective, get a hold of this. Verse 19 and 20 I'm not going to read it again, but he was faced with whether he breaks up with her and he makes a choice to stay with her. You think that affected Joseph and Mary? Let's go over to chapter 2. I want to see it, verse 13 through 16. When they had departed, and they are the wise man, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, rise and take this child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy, and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and the mother that night and departed. That Herod was King Herod. He was called Herod the Great. But he was also Herod the Evil. He had killed one of his wives. He had killed one of his mother-in-laws. And that is illegal in most states. He killed three of his sons when they came to age. And listen, when Herod said he was going to kill you, that wasn't a bluff. And God spoke, and God spoke to Joseph, and he said, you need to get Mary and this baby out of here now. He got up that night, and he left. In verse 14, and he wrote, verse 15, and he remained in Egypt. There was a large number of Jewish people in Egypt until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I'll call my son. In verse 16, Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. We're going to look at that more in a moment. You think it mattered whether Joseph obeyed here? It'd be easy to sanitize and go, oh, God wasn't going to let anything happen to Joseph and Mary. Then why didn't he let them just stay there and just put a protective bubble over the place where they were staying? In, in, in verse 19 through 23, we see Joseph's obedience again. Herod died. An angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph. Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, an evil son, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. 
And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Let me just show you on a map. This is, uh, this is Israel in Jesus' day. This is Judea. This is Jerusalem. Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. They're down here in Egypt. They decide to come back to Judea. They hear that the evil king's evil son is ruling. So they leave here and they go probably through or around Samaria to Galilee. And that's where Jesus is raised in Nazareth. That's the Sea of Galilee right there. Did it, <laughs> did it matter? Well, you, you figured it out for yourself. Of course it mattered. And you know, one of the scary things, one of the things that really is scary, how you conform your life to God and how you obey God is going to have such an impact on those around you. One, it's going to have a tremendous impact on those you love the most. Obey, disobey. Impact for the rest of their life, positive. Impact for the rest of their life, negative. Here's the thing that's really kind of cool and scary too. Your obedience is going to affect people 10 years from now that you don't even know that it's going to affect. Your obedience just spreads out or your disobedience just spreads out. You see, when God's telling you to do something, God's telling you to do it not only for your best, but for the best of everyone you love and even those people you do not know yet. Moms and dads, you need to swallow this. You need to take this to heart. How your obedience is going to affect other people. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home, and and my dad played a huge role in my life. After him helping me become a Christian, the second biggest thing, impact he probably made, was when I I was 23, I'd moved and gone to seminary in Texas, and we'd lived in Tennessee for 19 years. My dad had been successful at the university where he was. Things were going great there. We had bought a 30-acre farm. Everything was great. He was going to retire there. We had all grown up there. And lo and behold, here's what my old man does. He's 59. Now, when you're 23, 59 is like 159. It's really not that old, but it's kind of old in the working world. He sells the farm. He gives the dog away. Is that not the sorriest thing ever? He gives the dog away, and he takes a position at a university half the size where he was that's in bad shape. And none of us wanted him to do it. And I kept trying to convince him, I'm praying and I'm not hearing it. And his idea was, I'm praying and God, I don't care what God tells you about me. I'm going to do what I feel like God tells me to do. And he moved. And it was the absolute right decision. And I want to tell you, years later, the thing that has stuck in my head is it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are or what the decision, your obedience or lack of it is going to have a tremendous impact on your kids, your grandkids, your family, your friends, an impact years later that you can't even measure. Tremendous impact on others. Let me give you a last thought too. Your obedience is ultimately a matter of life and death. Now, you, you, can, you can change that and you can say it can be a matter of life or death. I can go with that either way. And, and I don't think I'm overstating it. We won't read the stories again. But it was a matter of life or death for, for, for Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. It was that serious. It was a a matter of life or death when they came back, whether they lived in Judea. They could have said, well, we'll live here. He'll never find us. 
But God said, no, you need to go live in, in Galilee, not Judea, because a bad guy's on the throne and he may find you. It, it can be a matter of life or death. Romans 6.23 is a great verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death. No, it ends great. That's not great right there. What, what the wages, that's the price of sin is death. Okay, if you're a Christian, how does that verse apply to you? How, how can death affect us as a Christian? When you and I do not conform to God, when we do not obey God, listen to what you're going to sacrifice. You're going to have a death of joy, a death of effectiveness, a death of your witness, a death of what God can do in your life. And you may even put yourself in a position where, where you cost yourself your life. Years ago in my hometown, a pastor that I knew very well, I knew his family very well. His son was a year younger than me. We grew up together. His son was a devout Christian. He had a little bit of a bend-off time in college. And he contracted HIV, which turned into full-blown AIDS. And in the, in the mid-'80s, that was a death sentence. I mean, now it's, it's not curable, but it's treatable. Then, that was a death sentence. And, and the young man died from it. Do I believe he was a Christian? Absolutely. Do I believe he's in heaven today? Absolutely. Here's what his dad had to get up on a Sunday morning and tell the church. He said everybody in the church knew what had happened. I mean, knew that knew his son was, was dying. And his son said in a, in a particular time in his life, just a few times he was involved with a lady sexually, who had AIDS. And it ended up costing him his life. And you go, well, that's a preacher's story. No, that's a real story. The wage of sin is death. Sin can ultimately kill you. If you're not a Christian today, the wages of sin is death. Becoming a Christian is, is very simply, it's obeying God. It's surrendering your life to God. And the Bible says until you do that, you were, you were under, you're under God's wrath. But the gift of God, when we obey, is eternal life. So here's what I want to ask you as we close. Do you understand how high the price is here? And will you choose to obey God this morning? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christ follower, I, I pray whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is God's touching your heart on, that you, that you'll say yes to him. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're unsure and you're ready today to give your life to Christ, pray with me where you are. Pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And, and I want to turn from my sin. Jesus, I accept your God's Son and that you died and that you arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a minute. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. 
Are you ready to do that? When we stand today, would you come this morning? Would you come today and cross that line with Jesus? We'd love to help you do that. Come and do that. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. You can join after church or you can come when we stand. We would love for you to. If that's an act of obedience for you, obey God today and join. Christian, maybe where you're standing or maybe at the altar, man, you need to do business with God. You need to repent and you need to ask God to help you not perfectly, but with the direction of your life to live conform to Him. Some of you got decisions. You need to make the God decision, the right decision. You ask God to give you the courage to do it this morning. Let's stand.